Well, good morning. You know, today we're continuing on in that sermon series we started on Philippians. And the whole theme of this series is finding joy. In fact, we tried to bring joy to our, the person reading the, the lecture, or the, the reading today, because there's only two verses, right? And giving joy back is everywhere we can. But we only have two verses today because there's also some very important things, very critical things in terms of changing our life and finding more hope and finding more peace and finding more joy and different things like that. But to keep kind of thematic in this whole series, I want to, again, give you a question to begin kind of discussing as we begin. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor at this time, and for about 15 or 20 seconds, I want you to ask this question, what would you like to change most about yourself? Let's do that for about 15, 20 seconds, and then attention back up here. Okay, very good, very good. Now, I'm very impressed for multiple reasons on that one. One, in the first service, conversation died down after about five seconds because nobody really wanted to share stuff. So you guys are very open and honest with each other. I love that. And today we're going to talk about just a little bit of of what do you want to change, okay? And so as we take a look at that question, I think that encompasses a lot of different things. Uh, For some of us, it encompasses things that we want to change in terms of behavior or or just kind of we've gotten stuck in life and we want to move beyond it because we just keep falling into the same traps over and over and over. For others, it's moving past the past. For some reason, there's just a chunk of our past that keeps controlling our present and it throws us us into pieces of of shame or depression or anxiety or stress or we allow other people to manipulate us because of something we did yesterday. For some, it's just worry about the future, and we want more peace in our life. We want more joy, as the series is talking about. We just want to be in a different place because we're so rattled by so many different things. We all want change in different ways. And so that's what he's talking about. And, and if I were to tell you that Jesus, you know, somebody came up to you and they say, Jesus changed my life, would you think that's an encouraging thing? Now, what if I said, I, Jesus changed my life? The reality is that God has something to share with us in the, midst of as we, in the midst of our lives as we know it, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the stresses, in the midst of the problems, in the midst of the shame. He says, let me come in and, and do something. Let me come in and change your life, give you a renewed perspective, do something extraordinary. Ultimately, he says, let me come and save you. Save you from where you are right in this moment. And so when we talk about what do you want God to change most in your life, you probably did a great job at being honest, but... But the crux of allowing Jesus into our life is finding that place that we need him the most. I was talking to a gal the other day, and she was saying, you know, she tries to just bury so much stuff as she goes through life. And she was saying, if if I really get too serious with myself, there's a lot of insecurity about who I am. There's a a lot of shame. There's There's a lot of regret. There's a lot of things that I just wish I would have done differently, and I know if I go too deep into that stuff, I'm going to tailspin, and I don't know if I can come back. And so I just try to blame everybody else, you know. I, I, I live the victim's life. I try not to get too deep. I try not to look at me too long, because if I do, I get scared. If you really want Jesus to get into your life, you've got to let him into that place where you need him the most. Does that make sense? You've got to let them heal that place because that's going to drive everything else in your life. 
And so as we talk through these things, I want you to think about that place where you need him the most. In our society, we do a great job at keeping ourselves from going there. The entertainment industry is built on the fact that we don't want to go too deep in our life, right? So they, they keep us distracted with all these other things. And yet, Paul, that's exactly what he's talking about in these two verses today. And he's saying when it comes to change in your life, it's a two-parter. God has a part and we have a part. And so he says this in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purposes. And I want you to notice two phrases in, that, in those two verses. The first is to work out, and the other is to work in. Work out is our part, work in is God's part. It's like he's saying this, I want you to work out what I'm working in your life. Again, if you let him into that place where you need him the most, that's where powerful things begins to happen. And so Paul's saying essentially two things. He's saying, first, we need to accept responsibility for our part, for our growth. And that's a hard thing. It means applying some of the stuff that we've been hearing. You know, we did an interesting, um, we did an interesting experiment in the last two weeks, and, and, and you, you may have noticed that the blinds were down. Anybody notice that? And just out of show, how many of you thought it was cool that the blinds were down? Show of hands. And how many of you thought it was not cool that the blinds were down? Show of hands. And how many of you didn't care at all? Show of hands. <laughs> all right. Now, what was interesting is we were talking through some of these things in the series so far. We've talked about putting, the first series was about putting the best construction, right? I'm thinking the best of the people around you. He was talking about relationships. Uh, the week after that, we were talking about priority and perspective, also power and purpose, but having a priority and perspective as you live through life. What's most important? Jesus, God's most important. What's most important? Purpose, getting to heaven, all those kind of things. To look at your relationships and think, is my relationship more important than this dumb argument? Yes. I mean, thinking through priority and perspective. Okay, so the blinds were down, and we were just kind of seeing how you would react. Because sometimes, even when we're talking, oh, and the last one was on criticism, right? We're not supposed to do that, right? We're supposed to, to again, think of the best and, and put the best construction. Paul says, I can be content in all situations. And so on the way out of those services for the last two weeks, it was just interesting. I didn't hear one person come up and say, man, that was a neat opportunity for me to be content in all situations. But we did hear some criticism, some passionate criticism. One person, I, I don't know who it is, so don't tell me, but they, they, uh, the person said back, oh, it's like red carpet, green carpet. And she said, I don't care. I don't like them down, you know, that kind of thing. Now, whether the blinds were up or down, when we think through priority and perspective, were that, was that the most important thing? No, but we get distracted, don't we? And so we walk out of a sermon hearing about best construction and being content, or the week before about thinking the best of people. And, and okay, so let's talk about that one. Now, even as we thought about whose crazy idea was that, I, I'm not going to tell you who that was. <laughs> but the purpose was, the purpose was to try to eliminate distraction as you're listening to the messages or singing the songs or whatever, to have your total focus on what Jesus wants to say to you in the service. Now, some of the people walking out didn't have the best construction on whoever that was that made that decision, you know, to just try it out. And so they vilified, right, that decision maker, and they said he must be evil. Well, they didn't say that, but, you know, when you vilify somebody, you're not thinking he's awesome, right? So you say he must be evil that he came up with that decision. Now, is that anywhere true? See, even though we're talking through Philippians and Paul's trying to say put on the best construction and, and, and be content in all situations and keep priority in, in, in church service that's mainly hearing about Jesus, right, and seeing what he has to do with your life. Instead of doing all those things, sometimes even as we're walking out the door, we forget. 
And so one of the things that we want to change, I think, as we go through life, in addition to your things, is, man, we have to start taking seriously God's words. Does that make sense? And if we let him into that place where we need him the most, God's actions and God's love and all this stuff starts eking out. If we keep him on the surface, we are no more changed when we walk out that door. And we fall right back into the same patterns. We've, we've heard a neat story or we watched a neat movie today, but it didn't have impact on our souls. And so as we go through this, think through, how can I let Jesus in to where I absolutely need him the most? How can I be vulnerable with Christ? I want you to keep thinking through that. Now, today we're going to take a look at this, this our part, your part, God's part and our part. I want to, I'm going to flesh this out a little bit, and it's going to be a perspective-giving sermon. The first part is going to help you understand how God's working or wants to work in your life. And then the second part is going to talk about what he expects of us, you know, to, to, the, the trying part that we're supposed to do. So the first part is, what is God's part in changing me? And one of the first things you need to know about this particular answer is that God always uses the Bible. You've heard me say over and over, you've got to get in the Bible, you've got to get in the Bible. Why? Because that's where God's truth is. And if you don't know God's truth, then I can literally say anything to you and you will believe it. Does that make sense? If you don't know what's in the Bible, I can say anything. And you're like, oh, it must be true. Pastor was saying it. But if you know the truth, then I'm a cheerleader saying stuff that you already know. I'm giving you encouragement to go get them. As we go through this life of ours, we live in a world where truth is kind of the way I feel. It's not even I think, therefore I am. It's I feel, therefore it must be, right? So the reality is that God gives us an ultimate truth as we walk through life. And just because we pretend there's no truth doesn't mean there isn't. It's like when you're driving on the freeway and you see the, the speed limit sign and you pretend that it's not the speed limit sign and you keep going whatever it is. The police officer that pulls you over still thinks that's the law, irregardless of what speed you're going. Sometimes we treat God's word in the same way. There is an ultimate truth. And God says, that's where it starts. That's where I talk to you. He says, whenever I talk to you in the word, my spirit goes out and it has an effect. And God says, I just want to hang out with you. I want to converse with you. I want to spend time with you. And in that time, God says, I will change your life. And I will get into that place that you need me the most. Paul says this in 2 Timothy. He says this. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. It is God's way of making us well-prepared at every point. I think so often we feel very ill-equipped as we go through life. God says, if you want to have more strength and more peace and more joy, and get with me, and I will give you words, and I will give you my spirit to change those things. But he's just saying that the Bible changes our way of thinking, necessarily so. And because of that, it eventually changes us too. And if you want to get serious about change, then you've got to get in this book. You've got to read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it. Live your life by it. And I know I'm a resounding gong on this, and I know it's a thick book, but and it will do crazy things to your life. The first time I read through the Bible, I remember closing it and thinking, you know what, God, you want me to go this way. And right now, I'm going this way. And I realized I had to change some things in my life to go more and more the way God wanted me to go because I realized more and more that by going this way, I was going to mess up on my life. And eventually, we were going to get pretty far apart. And so God does crazy things as you get into his word and as he begins speaking with you. But this is why God can change your life because God says the more you get into my word, the more you're going to hear my voice and the more you're going to be led by it. And yet people will come up to me all the time. It's one of the craziest things. They'll say, Pastor, I, I struggle with my faith or I don't have any faith. And I'll ask them this question, are you reading the Bible? And they say no. And not to be blunt, but what do you expect? 
how do you expect to get closer to your God, the one who loves you desperately, the creator of the universe, if you don't spend any time with him? Never before in the history of mankind has the Bible been in, in more places. It is all over the world. There's more Bibles in print today than ever before in the history of man. You got it on television, you got it on, on, on the internet, you got it on radio. It covers almost everywhere. When I was in China, I don't know, almost 10 years ago now, they had like 400 different dialects in Chinese, and there was only like 50 or 60 left that they had to go to get the Bible translated into. And yet studies say that never before have we had as biblically illiterate a culture as we have today. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, he starts the change process by first of all talking with us in his word. And then he builds on that and he gives us the Holy Spirit. The Bible says God puts the spirit in us and he does so through the word. This is where the power comes from to change. In Romans 8:11, it says this. Once the spirit lives within you, he will bring to your whole being the new strength and vitality. In other words, God promises to bring power in your life, to actually make the changes necessary. He's saying the Holy Spirit is God himself. He is in spirit's form. And when you begin to receive what God has already started doing in your life and you stop rejecting it, I'm here you say, let me say that. Why do we reject God's word? We, we reject it because we don't want to do what he says. I want to do this instead, God. I, either it's a sin or I want to follow my own path or I want to make my own decisions. And what you're saying is too hard for me to think about right now. It, it seems too hard to implement into my life right now. And so we start rejecting parts of God's word until finally we start rejecting the all of God's word and we walk away. Not because it's not true, but ultimately because we don't want to do it. But when God says, when you get in my word and the Spirit starts flowing through, you begin to realize that the Spirit's already been working. It's gotten you to this point of spiritual craving in the first place. It's probably part of why you're here this morning. And Paul's talking about that in 1 Corinthians 3.18 when he says this, and the Spirit of the Lord works with us and becomes more and more, until we become more and more like him. And this is why that's important. This may be shocking to some of you, but God's major purpose in our life is not to make us happy. And I know that's mind-blowing, and I know a lot of our culture believes that that is the only purpose of God, and we view him as a vending machine God in many ways, and yet if he doesn't give us exactly what we want, we start getting mad at him. I want you to think of God always as the perfect dad. Does that make sense? You may not have had the perfect dad, but I want you to think of him as the perfect dad. Does the perfect dad always say yes to everything you ask for? No. God's major purpose in your life is not to make you happy, but to make you more like Jesus, to save you, to take you to heaven. The perfect dad wants your ultimate good, doesn't he? I, he wants the best for you. And God, he wants you to be in heaven with him for eternity. That's his desire. In Genesis 127, it says, when God first formed the world, he says, let, make, let us make man in our image. And he's been working ever since to do that very thing. His ultimate goal is to make us like him, to change us, to save us. And so God's ideal is to tell you, tell us how to change through his word, to give us the power to change through his spirit so that when we read it, we can actually do it. Unfortunately, as we look around our world today, that's not always the case. We don't always follow that ideal. Not even in this room do we always follow, not even in this area right here, do we always follow his ideal. And so God gives us a third way to get our attention, to help us hear him differently. And he gives us circumstances. Why? Because problems and pressures and headaches and difficulties and stress seem somehow to always get our attention. Even sometimes shades or no shades tend to get our attention. And yet in Romans 28, he says this crazy thing. He says, 
to those who love God. And again, when Paul talks all the way through his letters, he keeps making this challenge. If you really believe him, right? If he's really your God, he says, to those who love God and are called according to his plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. For God chose us to bear the family likeness of his son. In other words, nothing, nothing can come into your life or come into the life of a believer without God's permission. That's hard information, isn't it? Because there's realities, there's things that have happened in our life that have been hard and brutal. God doesn't say that all the things that he's allowed in your life have been good. And there's been a lot of pain. He's allowed us to make mistakes, to sin ourselves, and to cause a lot of consequence in our lives. He's allowed other people to sin against us, cause a lot of pain in our life. But he does also promise this. His promise is that no matter what has happened in your life, that I will always work it for the good of those who, live, who love me. That there is a pattern, a divine pattern in the life of a believer. And if you think of him as the perfect dad, man, sometimes the perfect dad looks at his kids and says, man, they're only going to learn the hard way. I'm sure as he looks at me, he thinks that a lot, right? So some of us only learn the hard way. And there's some times in our life that we only learn through difficulty. And so sometimes God allows these things in our life to grow us, to strengthen our faith, to bring us closer to him. So sometimes we get caught up in where did my problems come from? Did, is it all on me? And sometimes we get spiraled in guilt. Is it the devil? Is it God? But the answer is it really doesn't matter where the problems have come in our life because no matter what the source of our problems, the promise of God is still true, that God can use it in your life for good. Now some of you have been around for a little bit longer I've seen example after example after example of that in your life. When you went through it, it was the most horrible, horrific thing you could imagine. And yet it's sometimes because of that, God has given you a ministry. Or God has given you peace in the midst of the storms of life because nothing could compare to that. Or God has given you a strength in your relationship with him because even in the midst of that, you saw that he was with you. But here's the hope that it gives. No matter where you are right now, there is another side you will get to the other side and God will be with you in the in-between to work out what is good. Because no matter what the source is, God can use it in your life for good if you let him. All things fit into a pattern for good. It's his promise to make us more and more like Jesus, to strengthen our faith, to save our lives, to get us to heaven. And if God is going to make us like Jesus, he's got to take us through some of the things that Jesus went through. And you look at scripture and you see that Jesus, there was times where he was pretty lonely. There were times when Jesus was tempted. There was times when Jesus was tempted to be depressed or angry and blow up or be impatient. And God allowed Jesus to go those things, through those things. And if he allowed Jesus to go through those things, do you think he's going to spare you from those things? No. Because he's way more interested in your character and in getting you to heaven than he is in your comfort. In Hebrews 5.8 it says, Jesus learned obedience through suffering. So you hear me say this. When we reject his word and we reject his spirit, how else do you think he's going to get a hold of us and get our attention? And so God works through all those things, right? To try to breathe in us truth, to help us connect with him because he loves us. Now, having said all those things, God loves us as kids and he desires to bless us and to work with us and to strengthen us and to give us hope and joy and courage as we walk through life. But there are times and as we say, life is tough. 
but I guess we have to do it the hard way. So scripture tells us that he works first through his word and then through the spirit, and if those two don't work, he uses circumstances. Let me give you some examples of that. Scripture says, be humble before honor is humility. If you read it from the word and you ask God for the power to get rid of that ego in your life, that's God's ideal way of working at it. But if you don't learn to be humble from God's word, he will humiliate you with experiences and circumstances. And sadly, the majority of the time, at least for me, that's the third way, is the way he seems to work with me. In Proverbs 20, verse 30, it says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. In other words, we rarely change until we get desperate. It's like the old saying, we don't change when we see the light, we change when we feel the heat. So God often has to light a fire on us to get us going, to actually get us moving in our lives. And I want you to think through some of the things that you've changed in your life. And has it always been from self-will, from your own willpower that those things have changed or have had difficult things come into your life that have caused you to make those changes? As you think about the thing that you need to change the most right now, what is the thing that's most getting in your way? Is it pride? Is it a love for whatever sin? Is it, is it a fear that you just won't give him trust, right, to find that peace that you're looking for? The reality is we always get in God. There's things we hold back from him because we're just not ready. And if we just listen to his word and make those changes, man, we'd avoid so much. I, I say in the Bible class on Wednesday morning, when God starts tapping you on the shoulder to change from your sin or whatever, change because if he has to get involved, he whaps you upside the head with something. But if that's God's part and his desire is to get you to heaven and he'll just try all these things and more to get you to heaven, what's our part? God says we can actually do three things in our life, and one of the first things we can do is choose to th what we think about. You see, growth is not an automatic thing. It just doesn't come passively or spiritually. Change has always been a matter of choice, and I get to choose what I think about. And if, just as an example, when the shades were down, you could have focused up here, or you could have focused over there. We always get to choose what we think about. In Ephesians 4, 23 and 25, it says this, your mind must be renewed by a spiritual revolution so that you can put on the new self that has been created in God's way. See, change always begins with thinking, always. The Bible's word for change is, is, been, is this word repentance. And repentance is a big word, especially in the New Testament. John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, after Jesus died and rose again, said, repent. You just killed this guy, Jesus, and he's your savior. You need him. The, the disciples went out. And the same message over and over was repent and believe. Repent and believe. And repentance just simply means this in the Greek. It means to change your mind, to change your actions, to align them more with Christ. When I repented, I changed the way I thought about God, the way I thought about myself, the world, others. I changed my outlook. And so when somebody becomes a Christian, it necessarily changes their perspective in life because they begin to see things differently. They begin to realize it's not about all this periphery stuff, but it's about him working in our hearts and in our lives. In Romans 12, 2, it says, be transformed then by the renewing of your mind. And so if you want to be changed, it starts with the renewing of your mind. And psychologists found the same thing out 2,000 years later. They discovered that the way that I think determines the way that I feel, and the way that I feel determines the way that I act. And a lot of behavior modification then today, where people are trying to change things for the better, all these self-help books, they're starting with the actions rather than going back to the root of the actions. But the reality is that we always act on what we believe. There is no action without a thought behind it. 
If you're acting depressed, it's because you're feeling depressed. Make sense? Yeah. If you're feeling depressed, it's because you're thinking depressing thoughts, usually buying into a lie. The key then is always to start with the way that you think. And God says the only way that happens is, again, by being in his word where he can share with you actual truth. He goes on and says this too, I can choose to depend on God's spirit moment by moment. This is where the power comes in. Jesus gave a cool illustration of this in John 15. He says this, Take care to live in me and let me live in you. For a branch can't produce fruit that is severed from a vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him shall produce a large crop of fruit. He's just saying that the branch is totally dependent upon the vine. That whenever it is cut off from the vine, it won't bear the grapes or the figs or whatever. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself. And so Jesus is saying this, that the only way we can be with God is to be plugged in with God. God is the power. It is not an automatic thing. You've got to be plugged in, tuned into God, and that's where the power comes through. And so the big question that I think arises is this, how do you know when you're depending on God's Spirit? And the answer to that is simply this, you look at your prayer life. Whatever you're praying about, you're depending on God for. Whatever you're not praying about, you're not depending upon God for. So what does it mean to depend upon God? It means to pray continually. It means giving him your feelings and your relationships and your decisions and your deadlines and your purchases and everything else. God desires to bless. And that's what you pray about. That's what it means to depend upon the Spirit. And here's the indictment of that. It means that we've got to start praying more in our life. He's the most powerful entity in the whole universe, and we tap into him so little. We desire change, and yet we call upon him, and not at all. We, we freak out about the future, and we forget who he is. We've got to start praying. And then he says, I can choose my response to circumstances. And James 1, 2, and 4, it says, When all kinds of trials crowd into your lives, whether they be the blinds down or up or whatever, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they came to test your faith and produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you become people of mature character, people of integrity with no weak spots. In other words, James is just telling us that we get to choose our responses in life, that life is 10% what happens. The blind's down, 10%. And 90% is how we respond. For everything we experience in life, there is a choice on how we respond. We have some examples. The way that God produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is often by putting us in the very opposite of circumstances. So you say, God, I want you to make me more loving. And so often his response to that is to put you around unlovely, unlovely people so that you can work on loving the unlovely because it's easy to love those that are loving. You say, God, I want to learn more joy in my life. And they'll probably put you around some tragedy so that you'll learn that joy is different than happiness. You pray for peace. It's easy to have peace when you're on a beach in Tahiti. It is. But peace is learned in the midst of chaos. In the end, we are the ones that get to choose our responses. For the reality is that God often allows us in the opposite situations to help us grow. But let's get back to that initial question. What do you want to change most about you? Where is that place in your life that you need him the most the place that you don't go to very often because you don't like the pain that is there you got to let him there you've got to let him in 
You've got to be vulnerable to hear his words, I love you and I forgive you. You've got to trust that his words are true. Because when he says, I forgive you, that means you can leave all that stuff in the past and walk forward free. There's a freedom that comes from that. It means you can leave all your worries at the altar and you can walk away free knowing that somehow, some way, no matter what happens, he's got me. God desires for you to have forgiveness and peace and joy as you walk through life. It's experiencing a sense of what heaven is on this earth. But it comes from letting him in. My friends, today I, I call you to repentance. For you are loved and forgiven by an amazing God. And I proclaim to you because of that, that you are forgiven. But also that nothing is impossible for you because of Jesus. My prayer, let him in. And let him change your life. And all God's people said, amen. God, we love you so much. And we talked about hard things today. We, th- we talked about, Lord, just, I guess, an understanding of how you work. And that you work through our, the word and through your spirit. And yet, Lord, we confess we have not been very diligent in spending time with you. Uh, we reserve most of what we learn about you sometimes on Sunday morning, and even that we don't, we don't check in your word to make sure it's right. Father, we desire to know truth. We desire to hear from you personally. So give us the desire open, also to open up your pages and hear from you directly so that we don't have to take anybody else's opinion on it. Father, as we do, send your spirit to us in power and give it Give us a desire to be more and more the person you called us to be. Father, we pray that because we desire change in our life. We desire to walk through life with less pain, with more peace, with more joy, with more strength. Life is hard, and we need you desperately. And Father, just also cause us to take a step back and thank you for in the midst of the pain or the struggle or life just in general. We thank you for continuing to work on us so that one day we can be with you. Father, we thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.